Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Come spinning of stars, you who open the vault of heaven. Out of the blackness come spinning of stars, you who open the vault of heaven. Out of the blackness come spinning of stars, you who open the vault of heaven. Out of the blackness come spinning of stars, you who open the vault of heaven. Out of the blackness come spinning of stars, you who open the vault of heaven. Out of the blackness come spinning of stars, you who open the vault of heaven out of the blackness come spinning of stars you who open the vault of heaven out of the blackness come spinning of stars you who open the vault of heaven out of the blackness come spinning of stars Yo 
good evening, and thank you so much for joining me again on another journey into my world. Before we get started in this week's offering, I want to point out that my shows are not a shamanic course or series of structured lessons. You will learn things here that you will not find elsewhere, and I will be giving you instructions on techniques to help you unlock your energy bodies in various episodes, which will empower you beyond anything you have yet experienced. Regardless of if you are a beginner or a seasoned medium or accomplished magic practitioner, I will give you something to help you gain control and expand your energetic abilities through the control and manipulation of your own assemblage point of awareness. For uh, those of you new to my show, I would strongly recommend that you go back to the archives by visiting my website, www.theshamansbrew.com or jackalope105fm.com and listen to each show to gain proper understanding of this information and to make sure you have not missed something of value to your own development. One more thing I'd like to mention about this show before uh, we get started here is that last Sunday, about 1 a.m., I caught a very significant and very disturbing communication in the lab using my transdimensional transceiver. I have included it in this week's episode of News from the Lab. With that said, I would like to move on to the topic of this show. Talismans, amulets, and power objects. I would like to share with you some of my ideas and research results concerning the nature of our magical hyperdimensional universe and the manipulation of its underlying forces, better known as the art and science of magic. These stories and observations are based upon my own experiences as a shaman and a scientist. Upon first consideration of this duality of thinking, there are those who cannot conceive anything but chaos being born of a product of such radical different perspectives. In reality, we find the ways and wisdom of the shaman cutting the path and giving direction to the new breed of scientists that have dared to venture outside the box. These scientists are rewriting the textbooks as new discoveries unfold and substantiate many of the stories and practices of the ancient arts used throughout history and up to the present day. Because of this, many of my stories will have a different spin than others you may have encountered. I always try to avoid rehashing what has been said by so many before by presenting my listeners with a peek at perception far beyond the box. For some time now, I've been conducting research in and out of the lab using my shamanic experience combined with my scientific training in pursuit of unveiling the mysteries behind this force we call magic and uh, simultaneously developing methods to detect its presences as well as measure its force and influence with uh, physical real-time instruments. I now have succeeded in doing this by using methods that I will be publishing in the future. I am presently completing two books, one about 
a magical shamanic world hidden from the mainstream public for the last 500 years, and another written from a scientific perspective, giving a clear and concise view of the magical universe around us. Both books will cross-reference each other, producing a unique understanding of the forces that govern our magical arts, both ancient and new. It is my goal to have these books available to the public sometime next year. Now walk with me as I pull back the veil once again and explain the nature and differences of talismans as compared to amulets and power objects. Talismans and amulets have been around for as long as humans have walked the earth. They are found in every culture and religion around the entire planet. To mainstream Christians, these tools uh, are indigenous to pagans and surely the work of the devil. However, upon examination of many Christian faiths, we find a belief structure saturated with talismans and amulets in a variety of forms. The most significant and common of the Christian talismans is, of course, the cross. Many other examples can be found, such as uh, the St. Christopher amulets of protection for safe travel and, uh, and holy water amulets. I had actually never seen one of these before, but uh, recently I, I happened to be at a, uh, a, a Catholic uh, school and I, I saw one of the nuns there wearing a little bottle of water around her neck and it said holy water on it. The point here is that these magical tools are not restricted to any particular belief system. They are found wherever humans are or have been. This fact makes talismans and amulets a rather significant tool and one that must truly wield great powers of influence and protection. One thing I still find odd is that for such significant objects as talismans and amulets throughout human history, it is amazing how much confusion there is to the present day about the difference between amulets, talismans, and power objects. So before I explain how and why these objects work, let me start in a basic definition. Talismans, regardless of what you may have read, can be made of anything from stones to plants and animal products as as well as articles of construction, such as a series of numbers written on a piece of paper. The same is true for amulets. However, when it comes to power and energy content, certain stones and metals have the ability to generate and store greater amounts of energy than other materials. These objects are always made from stones or gems, and sometimes metal and special pieces of wood. The reason is simple. The hyperdimensional structure of these materials interact better with the etheric plane of power, also known by theoretical physicists as a zero-point field. Talismans are considered to be dynamic objects of power, meaning they manipulate certain energy flows in and around both the, themselves and the person using it. The objective is to bring about a desired change or attract specific frequencies of energy and therefore material or emotional desires. 
On the other side of the spectrum, amulets tend to radiate static fields of etheric or zero-point energy surrounding themselves and the person uh, or place uh, with the protective energy flow that resist energy variables from entering its field. This could be anything from thought intentions of bad luck or personal habits to negative entities, or negs for short. The energy harmonics of an amulet's radiating field repels the harmonics of most negative energy sources. The easiest way to remember the difference is that talismans attract things to the user's reality, while amulets try to maintain consistency in a user's reality. The simplest terms, talismans attract, and amulets repel. Shamans often speak of power objects, and, and sometimes these are confused with talismans and amulets, when in fact they are neither. Power objects from nature are rare, but do exist, and are almost always in the form of crystals or special minerals that have been exposed to great amounts of earth energies around the area of earth etheric vortexes. These are found in different places around the earth, uh, such as uh, Sedona, Arizona. They can also be created by a skilled shaman who is proficient in the arts of etheric energy manipulation. These power objects have been altered in their primal energetic structure so that they act as capacitors or short-term storage batteries of pure primal energy from the etheric plane of power or zero-point field. Their reconfiguration caused by long-term exposure to high flows of this energy has established a permanent connection to the etheric plane through a special type of phase lock loop where the pure etheric energy flows in a circulating path through the etheric and physical planes of existence, saturating or charging the object with this etheric energy that is uh, directly manifested in the physical world. Power objects are used in fighting off a psychic attack or to supercharge a magical or psychic endeavor. They are primal power in its purest form and have no predetermined qualities or actions. The shaman or user of the power object gives the object purpose through the use of intention within the matrix of the mind. To understand how a talisman or amulet is created and how it works, we must draw upon the hyperdimensional model of the universe. Understand that all energy and matter is made of the same primal force, known by many names such as chi, spirit, orgon, prana, to name a few, and that the different energies and states of matter throughout all the universe, visible and invisible, are the result of various primal force densities and dimensional placements. Keeping this in mind, when we examine a magical object such as a talisman or amulet, we see a material object that is made of pure energy and the dimension that resonates with our physical world. In other words, we see a solid object. What we don't see is the subtle etheric resonance that is siphoning energy from the plane of power, the place where 
where magical energy is uh, drawn from. This talisman or amulet has undergone a dimensional phase shift that has reconstructed part of the makeup of the physical object so that it basically exists in two realities, our physical reality and a separate reality that channels primal energy into the object. This condition is very similar to that of a phase locked loops of a power object. To be honest with you, when I was younger, I took the scientific model of the times and applied it to the subject of talismans and amulets. And my biggest contention with the concept of these magical items was in their energy source. I could not conceive how an object could be charged with energy and used more than once. It seems to me that once you use the energy instilled in it, it would be useless. Therefore, I, I lost faith in any kind of talisman or amulet, thinking that it must be psychological in nature. Man, was I wrong. The fact is, these objects have a limitless energy supply once they have been transformed and dimensionally shifted. This uh, dimensional phase shifting is accomplished by exposure to repeated ritual thought forms or intentions in a magical environment or sacred gathering place such as uh, Stonehenge or Native American kivas or religious temples um, where hundreds and thousands of years of an imprinted human intention combined with the energies of the area to create uh, dimensional phase shifts within the object. An uh, analogy of this process would be the shift or alignment of a piece of steel once it's been exposed to a strong magnetic field resulting in the steel becoming magnetic. The uh, other way is through direct intent using specialized techniques and ritual by a skilled shaman or other magical individual. This is the preferred way of creating these objects since finding relics from ancient places of worship is a difficult task. Uh, if an object is acquired by a shaman from one of these sacred places, then the result will be an amulet or talisman of tremendous power. Talismans and amulets of lesser power can, of course, be created by anyone willing to go through the ritual procedures, but truly powerful ones should be made by the skilled individuals. One other matter concerning amulets and talismans I would like to point out is that they can be made generically so that anyone can use them or can be made for a more specific purpose for a, a particular individual. These items can also be damaged energetically by mishandling or not treating them in a sacred manner. You can literally undo the dimensional phase shift, making it just an ordinary object again. I've developed techniques to, um, to measure the amount of energy a magical tool contains and its degree of effectiveness, as well as a digital method of recording a photographic imprint of the etheric energy it radiates. The difference between a dimensionally shifted talisman and a non shifted one are like night and day. I hope I have illuminated the subject a little, perhaps from a different angle while giving you something to think about. The next time you are out and about, 
take notice of how many people are wearing some sort of talisman or amulet. And if you really want to get some strange looks, ask them if their amulets have been dimensionally shifted yet. To enlighten you a little further on this subject, I am going to play for you an interview I did with an archdruid of Ireland named Adge. Adge is a good friend and very wise and skilled in the magical arts of his druid lineage. I hope you enjoy this rare and illuminating interview. Hello, Edge. Welcome to the Shaman's Brew. Hello, Mark. Hello, everybody. Pleased to meet you again. You spoke about the campaign to save Tara Hill from the planned motorway that will cut right through the uh, heart of the Sacred Valley. Uh, can you tell us if there are any new developments in this battle, uh, what's transpired since then, or if there's any other ways that uh, have you know, come up that uh, listeners can help? Well, yes. Uh, we're having a big march in Dublin next weekend on Saturday from the Gardens of Remembrance down to the um, council offices on Wood Key, which is rather symbolic because Wood Key uh, was a huge Viking site and there were more Viking remains found there than anywhere else in Ireland, but the corporation decided that they wanted a great new fancy office right on the banks of the Liffey. And so they tore the whole place apart and wrecked all the archaeology there for this ugly concrete monstrosity that they made for their offices. So it's rather symbolic that we're marching to there. Um, yes, the uh, campaign goes on. Um, we have tried to present a petition of around 10,000 signatures uh, last week. Um, but the minister refused to um, be present to accept it, so um, that gives you a fair idea of the sort of reception that our efforts are getting. Yeah, it uh, kind of tells you a lot what's going on. Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. yes, it does. Um, meanwhile, there's, uh, different people are uh, getting energized about um, doing stuff here. There's more people that are beginning to respond to this all the time. Um, because there's more people feel that this is just simply wrong, running this toll road right through uh, a place where people lived and worked and worshipped for thousands of years. I mean, it's like running a motorway through the graveyard outside your local church. Yeah. Um, because it's the bones of the ancestors that have been dug up, and uh, the test trenching that's going on right now across the proposed route is being done with a JCD digger. Now, I've seen enough um, films of archaeological work going on in progress to know that you don't do delicate archaeological work with a, a digger. No. A little digger. You do it with shovels and small picks and, um, you know, almost down to um, brushes and toothpicks to get yeah. delicate stuff out. You don't do that kind of work with a JCB. No, it just shows they don't care. Yeah, this is what the archaeological investigation is being done with on, so far, 46 identified uh, sites along the proposed route to the Tower Springs Valley, so um, it gives you an idea of what's going on here. Yeah, the battle goes on. Okay, what I'm going to uh, do is, um, for all the listeners out there, I'm going to put... Uh, updates on my website so you can go there to check and I will forward the updates as they come in um, for 
from Hatch and from uh, the actual uh, Save Tara uh, campaign. And I'll uh, I'll keep putting updates up on the uh, site along with any suggestions so that people can go there. And and also I'm Hatch. I'm going to be um, contacting the people before the show even airs that I can that I can reach with the website and with my email lists uh, to let them know about the uh, the march and so they can light a candle and you know support us you know that way many thanks Mark many many thanks this is much appreciated here for you and me and everybody out there please do a little something to help out on this thing this affects all of us uh, no matter where we happen to be one of the major sacred sites of the world, in fact. And what happens here happens everywhere else. Uh, you know, what happens when a butterfly flaps its wings somewhere on the other side of the, of the world, there's a storm. It's a bit more than a butterfly flapping its wings. Yep, that's true. It's very true. Now, moving on to, to other news, I understand you had uh, quite an eventful... Uh, weekend, in fact, yesterday, in fact, uh, I'd like to congratulate you on that, and wondering if you'd like to share a little bit of that with our listeners. Well, um, my fellow members of the Hibernian Order of Druids did me the great honor of making me an art druid in the Order this weekend, and uh, I'm filled with this lovely, warm, happy glow right now. <laughs> <laughs> A big step forward in my life, a gateway I went through. Oh, that, that's uh, great. And uh, there were all sorts of lovely messages from our members. We've got people not just in Ireland, but Australia, America, Canada, Scotland, England, Denmark, um, all sorts of places that I've had messages from. So, um, yes, I'm. Sort of walking around wearing a big silly grin right now. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> that, that's quite an honor. It is, and I'm still a little stunned at it, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations once again on that. Well, thank you, thank you. Now, moving ahead to this month's uh, main topic. Um, I wanted to ask you, Edge, to explain to our listeners about the, the magical tools used by druids, as well as the magical tools that you carve out of the ancient bog oak. If you can give us you know, a little bit of a background on the, the bog oak and uh, and the different uh, tools that you that you make and you know their their main use, that type of thing. Right. Um, well, I make um, altar tools for witches and druids, uh, pagans healers, um, whatever people want really um, within the limits of the material I'm working with, which is um, mainly bog oak. Now, this is oak that fell into the bogs and was preserved um, thousands of years ago. I mean, the wood that I'm using is around about five, six thousand years old. And being in the bog that long, uh, turns the wood black. It polishes up beautifully, comes up a lovely shining black color. That's without any dyes, just oiling it. And this is a wood uh, that's got such a strong connection 
with the earth here in Ireland, having been in the earth for thousands of years, that it really is a solid grounding connection. <coughs> and being made of oak, of course, oak is the chieftain tree of the Druids. Um, Dur, its name is in Bogum, and Durwid, uh, Druid. Dur is the oak. Wid means to know. To know the oak is to know the Ogum, the secrets of the trees. Um, Durwid, Druid. Um, huh. It's basically where the name came from, and Dur, of course, is uh, the symbol of strength and protection. Uh, durable endurance. It's a druid word that's come down to us now. Oh, yeah. So we have all these things um, that are connected with bog oak, and to have magical tools of them, uh, it really is a, a, a powerful um, connection. I mean, um, when I was um, at this uh, ceremony we had at the weekend, uh, I gave the uh, initiating priest a snake wand that I've made of, uh, of bog oak and um, after the ritual we were relaxing celebrating and a friend of his called along um, purely by chance and he sat down and he picked up this snake wand and he said wow you can feel the power in this <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself wow there's a total stranger who's got absolutely nothing to do with the jury group at all uh -huh. um, comes along and picks up something like this, and he's going, wow, and his eyes go around the sources, and I think, oh, well, I must be doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I, I have uh, some of the items that you, you've made, and the first time I held them, I, I could feel the energy in them. It, it's an ancient energy. It's um, it's hard to put into words, but uh, there is a definite uh, energy in them, and it's almost like um, an ancient knowledge. It's locked up inside of them. It's just something you can sense with your your soul more than you can explain with words. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Um, the number of people that handle this stuff and they just go, wow, especially when I tell them a bit about it. Uh, it's a, an incredible privilege to have a load of bog oak sitting outside in my woodpile to make uh, these tools out of, because it's unlike any modern timber. Uh, yeah. There's an incredible feel to it. And it's tricky to work with. Yeah, you it, know how to work with it. It takes a couple of years before you can even do anything, or it has to cure, doesn't it, some type of yeah. process? Yeah. You see, it's stabilized in a wet bog for a thousand years and as soon as you take it out of that bog it starts changing all the support's gone it starts drying out uh, if it's just left after a year or so then it's full of splits and it's not much good for doing anything at all so the thing to do is while it's still wet cover it over again uh, cover it good and deep and leave it for a minimum of a couple of years to slow the drying process right down and then after a couple of years minimum, take it up, have the rough stuff off the outside and see what you've got underneath. And it'll still be damp, but it'll be, um, it'll, um, be in a usable condition. Mm -hmm. And the secret of it is to have it still a little bit damp inside because then it's reasonably easy to carve. If it goes bone dry, then it goes rock hard. 
but it's only then when it's really dried out that you can get a real finish on it. But uh, if you work at it, sand it right down and um, oil it and wax it and burnish it properly, you can get a finish like black glass on this stuff. It's wonderful. Yeah. It sounds like uh, quite an art just to carve it. It's not like something you pick up on the side of the road and just start carving away. No, it isn't. You have to work with the wood. You can't really impose what you want on it. You've got to see what's in it and work with that. Mm -hmm. And um, so every piece I work with is different um, because although it changes over a course of time, it can change. It still be changing six months after I've finished working on it. You know, I mean, I've carved staffs that were rounding sections when I finished them, but six months later they've gone oval. Because this wood will shrink across the yeah. mm -hmm. You bring it up out of the bog and dry it out slowly and then saw it and split it and cleave it down and you know, shave it, carve it, take away all the rest of the supporting wood and then uh, it's, you know, all the support that was around it is gone. Uh, yeah. It's just going to take up new shapes. And you've got to be a little bit careful there in case it cracks as well, but if, if, if you prepared your wood well, then you shouldn't get any splitting at that stage. But like I say, it's tricky stuff to work with. You've got to know your bulk out to yeah. do this with it. it. Sounds like it. Now, you make um, different types of wands, don't you? You make one that's uh, just a healing wand, or uh, is that the snake wand? Or? Well, you can use any of the wands, really, for healing. Uh, some are better than others because um, if I put a crystal in the end, then that's usually not so good because um, I tend to use wands for, um, you know, on-skin contact, and that's why for healing wands are just round the end of them, so yeah. they're nice round and smooth, so that you can rub them on acupressure points, for instance, and direct energy in. If you've got a pointed crystal in the end, it can be painful to yeah, you know, do that, so I, I tend to have rounded ends. The ones with crystals on, they tend to be used more for uh, ritual use in circle. But um, a wand is basically an instrument, a tool for directing power, focusing it and directing it. Um, it's not, like all, like all the rest of the magical tools, it has no inherent power of its own. It's a tool for directing the power that comes through you, the holder, the user. Uh, it's when you're healing, for instance, you're not using your own power, you're allowing the God power to come through you as a channel and heal someone. You're asking for the, you know, God, the Great Spirit, Goddess, call it what you will, to lend you some of their power. You're not using your own because you get burned up pretty fast doing that. Yeah. Um, and so you use the wand as a channel for that healing. Now, um, with a snake wand, the way that I've found it works for me is that, um, say that, for instance, somebody has a, um, a hurt or an infection or there's something wrong with them, what I do is I rub the tail end of the, the snake onto the place that's hurt or infected or whatever. And I visualize all the negativity flowing up through the wall and out through the head end and off into nowhere. Like a dirty grey stream of yuck, all the negativity, all the pain, the infection is slowly flowing up the wand and flowing. Make sure you don't point the wand at yourself, of course, you don't want to get in the way of that long. No, that wouldn't be but good. You just pull off all the negativity that you can from that place. And when you feel that you've pulled off all you can for now, you take the wand away, 
you turn it around and you put the head end of the wand on that face and then you visualize clean white pure light flowing down that wand and into the place to be healed and going out in there and healing the pain you know healing the damage that's in there healing the infection and just pure white light going into there and healing it again for as long as you can you know when you feel that you've done enough take it away and repeat that procedure you know often uh, I find that it works for me, you know, everybody, as a basis, everybody would develop their own technique from that. But that's a pretty good way of um, giving you the bare bones of it. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. It doesn't have to be a particularly, um, you know, a straight wand can do exactly the same thing. Of course, you just visualize the head and the tail on the snake that's wrapped around it. But it's the healer's wand that's known all the way around the world. I mean, you see it in every pharmacist's window, for instance. Oh, yeah. And this is just my own particular take on it. That's fascinating. Now, about you, you make um, bog oak staffs also. Mm. Um, what uh, a lot of people don't know what the actual use of the staff is as a as a magical tool. Is there anything that you can you can let us know about or or fill us in on there? Well, yeah, the first thing to remember is that you don't get any Gandalf-type special effects out of it. I mean, you need a Hollywood budget for that, and that I do not have. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, although I must admit that I did make a wand um, that had concealed in the top of it a mag-like torch pointing upwards and a nice big crystal on the top. And all oh. you to do was turn it after the dark, let there be light. <laughs> And there was light coming out of this crystal, and quite a bright light for that, which was very, very useful for walking around the site, so I didn't walk into ditches. Yeah, I bet. Like that. It's quite the effect. You know, and that, I called that my uh, Gandalf attachment. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, the, um, seriously, the staff is no more than the large form of the wand, <clears throat> and can be used for exactly the same effect. It's um, like going up a gear. Yeah. You can do that with all your magical tools, um, the pentacles, the baby, wand, and chalice become, uh, the, the, uh, in the Celtic tradition, the stone, sword, the spear, and the cauldron. Yeah. Going up a gear, um, you know, supercharging the form, if you like. And they're a larger form of the smaller ritual tools that the normal magician will keep on the altar. Um, but it's a little bit awkward to go using a staff. It's much more convenient to use something that's smaller. Oh, yeah. Actual physical hands-on healing, so a wand is more suitable for that. The staff is more a magical um, tool symbolizing this sort of thing, um, as the sword is, for instance. I mean, I carry and use a sword in some of my rituals. Um, it's more for ceremonial use than actual practical use, to be honest, in this case. I suppose some of these things are uh, relics of symbols of power that go back a very, very long way. But they're still very uh, very powerful symbols of um, that power and that authority. Um, for instance, when I'm um, going somewhere, if I've got to... Um, go to a place like Dublin, for instance, and I'll have all these ritual robes and stuff in the rucksack, and I'm just walking along in street clothes. Um, 
but there's not much that I can do to disguise a six foot black Volvo <laughs> snake staff that I'm carrying in the house. Yeah, kind of sticks and, out. Um, people take one look at this and get out of the way. <laughs> Which can be quite handy, you know, when it's really crowded going up O'Connell Street on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, yeah, I bet. It's also great to cross in the street. You can see the traffic stop and I'll look at the staff like that. <laughs> Love to see that. Yeah, um, people, friends of mine that have gone walking through Dublin with me say it's scary the way I stop traffic and <laughs> go across streets. Um, you know, but <laughs> yeah. um, but um, these things are largely more for ritual use than anything else. I mean, mm-hmm. a bog oak staff, for instance, they're quite a big, heavy thing, and it's not the kind of tool that I'd want to go setting off on a full day's hiking across the mountains with. It's, yeah. You know, far too big and heavy for that kind of work. You'd want something lighter and, um, you know, something that was not going to pull the, the arm off your shoulder after a day's carrying it, you know. Yeah. Um, these things are much more for ceremonial use than anything else. Uh, because let's face it, not everybody has to go floating off a pack of walls and yeah. go walking from one village to the next or something like that. Yeah, days. not too often anyway. So the, the use of the staff all round has got a bit archaic. Although, having said that, I mean, the staff worldwide has been the basis of all sorts of weapon systems mm-hmm. because um, well, any countryman would need a big stick to get across ditches with and through hedges and round up the pigs and fight off dogs, wolves, yeah. bandits, anything else like that. Uh-huh. I mean, it was an all-round tool that was, um, you know, or could also be used for self-defense as well. So, um, I mean, I, I do use the staff in, you know, as a, an exercise more these days, but I have trained um, in its use um, as a, a self-defense weapon. Uh-huh. These days I go just use to a set of exercises to keep me... Um, seizing up completely as I get older. <laughs> but uh, I also do um, fire dancing with a staff with fire on the ends. Huh. And that's quite spectacular. Yeah, I too. guess it would be. Um, masked up and painted up, drawing down the fire in a ritual circle. You know, that's quite you know, rather shamanic in as well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I work with the staff in all sorts of different ways. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, before we run completely out of time here, I wanted to ask you too um, about the, the talismans that you make uh, out of bog oak, and I, I believe you custom make them too by putting different names or symbols on them for people, as you know, depending on what they want. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Um, it's something that came to me from working with the trees, but basically I've been making small talismans, a, a, a piece of bog oak that would be about all the length of a finger, about the width of one as well, to be hung around the neck. And um, on that, I would um, take the owner's name, and I would carve that name in Ogham on the piece. And then there's a meditation that goes with that. You see, you visualize your name trees around you in a circle in a meditation space you create a grove of the trees of your own name the inner grove and you meditate in there and uh, for instance if you have a regular 
place in your day for meditation and visualise your trees around you as you meditate. Um, failing that, you can cast them around your bed before you go to sleep at night. And then when you're in your uh, grove, then go to the first tree of your name. I would normally put that in the north because um, a tree grows from the earth and the earth is uh, in the north. So go to the first tree of your name and thank the dryad, the tree spirit, for the uh, blessings that you've received and uh, you ask it for the things that you need. You use your own form of words. And then you go to the next tree and do the same and the next and the next the whole way around the circle. And when you finish the circle, give an offering of thanks to the spirits of the place, to the trees. It could be uh, picture a small dolmen altar in the center and leave, say, a bunch of flowers on it or a chalice of wine and a plate of cake, maybe. Or, on a more practical level, you could visualize yourself raking in some compost around the roots of the trees. Whatever, you're giving something back to the place. You know, it's not all one way, you're not taking all the time, you're giving, consciously giving something back. Um, everybody will visualize their own trees differently, but you'll all get to know what they look like um, in the winter as well as the summer, the buds, the, the flowers, the fruit the leaves, the bare shape of them in the winter, um, and you'll develop your own rituals to go with it, and you can use it for practical um, uh, things as well, the inner growth. For instance, if you're doing some healing work, then visualize your trees around you when you're working on that someone, and call on their healing qualities, or if you uh, want to protect something or someone, call up the trees, ask them for their guardian qualities. If you're doing some teaching, then call up the trees around you and whoever you're teaching and call on their wisdom. Now, the more that you put into it, the more you'll get out of it, the more you work with your own inner growth, the more you will learn how to work with it, how it can teach you, how it can let you apart. You're creating a large link to your own place of power. You are using your own name to create your own temple between the worlds. And using the power of your own name is pretty powerful magic anywhere in the world, that is really. And the talisman is the key, the physical link to the inner growth. And of course, everybody's is different. Everybody's yeah. is different. No two of these are the same at all. Even if several people had the same name, they would still see their trees differently. They would develop different forms of words, different ways of working with them. Um, they would develop their own magic from their own growth. Even if several people have the same name, trees are still different. Everyone is different. And this is the, the basics, the bare bones of the meditation that goes with the talisman. It's a little bit of magic that's come directly from the trees to me. Um, through working with them for many years. This didn't come out of anybody else's books. Okay. Well, people um, can learn quite a bit more about Bog Oak and the different things you make from your, your website, can't they? That's right. Okay. It, it's on your, you've got a link to it, haven't you? Yeah. In fact, um, you can go to uh, to my website, uh, sacredsoils.com, and click on Magical Tools, and there'll be a story about Hatch there. You can read up about the uh, tools he makes and 
and the different materials and you know get that information we're just about out of time here so uh i would like to uh to once again thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge with us and i hope to have you back on uh, future shows well, thank you very much mark you've been a great honor by asking me to come back by this thank you very much thank you to all the listeners i hope that you can help out with our tara campaign so until the next time everybody blessed be blessed be my friend now if you're ready I'm going to move into my favorite part of the show. News, 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 news from, the, from, the, from, the, from the lab. This week in News from the Lab, I have one very significant yet very disturbing piece of audio that I recently caught using my ITC device, the Transdimensional Transceiver. A few days ago, on Sunday, November 22nd, I captured a type of spirit communication that always makes me uneasy. The voice of a child. A child that seems to be in distress. I started my experiment using a modified set of digital carrier signals made up of a complex stream of seven evolving modulations. This means that I injected a stream of seven individual tones that were changing frequency with time at different rates into the main carrier wave of the receiving closed laser stream. This is a stream that is offered to entities in a vacuum chamber for them to add to or modulate in an attempt to communicate. The chamber may also generate some kind of uh, portal through the, uh, through the surface of the veil, allowing energy modulations to interact with the laser modulations. I'm, I'm not uh, certain exactly how this is done yet, uh, but I hope to bring about uh, an understanding with future experiments. Here is what happened. Early Sunday morning at 12.30 a.m., I started the experiment using my new modified carrier signal. The EMF tube surrounding the reaction tube was set to 35,000 volts, and the magnetic compression density was set to 40%. I had the uh, transmitting laser operating with the microphone turned off during the uh, attempt, so there was absolutely no microphone hooked up to the device while it was in receiving mode. I was monitoring the, uh, the output of the receiving laser on speakers during the entire experiment. For the first 42 minutes, nothing but the carrier signal came through. Then, at 1.12 a.m., 
A voice came over the speakers that lasted only a few seconds. I immediately turned on the transmitting microphone, which carried my laser-modulated voice through the heart of the reaction chamber to a quartz crystal termination point. After a couple seconds of transmitting my questions to the voice, I switched the microphone over to feed the receiver with my voice in addition to the modulation carrier wave. This was the result. sounds to me like a child sobbing followed by a scream. This always pulls at my heart to hear a child in fear or pain. Let's uh, listen one more time and remember when this was captured there was no microphone of any kind connected to the device. exactly what to make of this evidence. And uh, future attempts for the following hour did not produce anything at all. I will continue my experiments and bring more information on this type of phenomenon as well as others in future shows. In my next episode I will be focusing on the very structure of the veil that separates our worlds with a guided tour through this barrier and discuss its nature and how entities uh, use this realm as well as how they get trapped there. I will also discuss what happens to some adults and children when they cross in confusion and fear. This information will be offered through my experience as both a Toltec shaman and a scientific researcher in the field of human consciousness. If you have a radio station and would like to replay this show in your lineup, please contact me at marcus at theshamansbrew.com for more information. So until next week, thank you all for listening. I am Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on Jackalope 105 FM on the Jackalope Media Network.